very encouraging. Well, preachers and teachers are a fundamental part of God's plan to save mankind. That's what Paul wrote in Romans chapter 10. In Romans chapter 10, beginning of verse 13, For whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace, who bring glad tidings of good things. In part of God's plan to save mankind included preachers preaching the gospel. It's important that we have preachers and teachers that are spreading the gospel to those who are lost. And once those who are lost are saved, it doesn't end there. Preachers and teachers are still needed. Ephesians chapter 4 tells us about this. Ephesians chapter 4, beginning of verse 11. And he gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Preachers and teachers are needed after folks become Christians so that they can be built up and edified, so the church can be edified. Preachers and teachers are necessary. And we appreciate that fact. I'm sure that most everyone here has a favorite preacher or teacher that's been especially helpful to you. Maybe someone that you really feel like you can connect with, someone you feel like connects with you, someone who states things in such a way that they just stick, that it just clicks, that you understand what that person is saying. You appreciate their approach to presenting the gospel because it just works for you. Maybe you've got them on your phone and you're, maybe you've got their podcast where you pull it up and you listen to their sermons. Whoever that may be, that person is just a good preacher or teacher. But we need to point out that not everyone that preaches or teaches is good at what they do. No, there are a lot of bad preachers and teachers, and maybe some of you are wanting to whisper to the person sitting next to you, yeah, we know about that. We need to make sure that we have good teachers, and today I want to look at what a good teacher is. What makes someone a good or great teacher? What does it take to, have, to be a great teacher? Because I'm afraid that many are looking for the wrong characteristics and the wrong traits in a teacher. This morning, I want to look at what makes a good teacher. If you want to turn your Bibles to Acts chapter 18, we have a case study of someone who was an excellent teacher. And we can look at his characteristics, and I think we can learn from him as to what it takes to be a great teacher. Would you turn in your Bibles to Acts 18? Let's start reading at verse 24, and I ask you to keep your Bibles open here as we look at the characteristics of this man. In Acts 18, verse 24, Now a certain Jew named Apollos, born at Alexandria, an eloquent man and mighty in the Scriptures, came to Ephesus. This man had been instructed in the way of the Lord, and being fervent in spirit, he spoke and taught accurately the things of the Lord, though he knew only the baptism of John. So he began to speak boldly in the synagogue. When Aquila and Priscilla heard him, they took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. And when he desired to cross to Achaia, the brethren wrote exhorting the disciples to receive him. 
And when he arrived, he greatly helped those who had believed through grace. For he vigorously refuted the Jews publicly, showing from the scriptures that Jesus is the Christ. Apollos was a great teacher. I want to tell you, there were some things about Apollos that didn't make him a great teacher. I want to tell you that it is not necessarily one's education that makes him a great teacher or her a great teacher. You know, many look to the educational credentials of an individual to determine if they're worthy to be listened to. What kind of school did they go to? What kind of degree did they get? What kind of training have they received? How many letters do they have after their last name? What are their credentials? What kind of education do they have? I want to tell you, there are a lot of people that when they see a person's credentials, that turns their head. They must be telling me the truth. They must be preaching it right. They must be a good teacher if they've got these credentials. I want to tell you, Apollos probably would have been able to foster a lot of attention with his credentials. Verse 24 says that Apollos was from Alexandria. Alexandria, you recognize that name. That was a city in Egypt built by Alexander the Great in 331 B.C. In 331 B.C., Alexander the Great built Alexandria. It was on the coast of Mediterranean, the Mediterranean Sea. It was a shipping coast. And within a hundred years of it being founded, it became the largest city in the world. It was known for its education system. It became the intellectual and cultural hub of that area. It ultimately became a capital of Egypt, the capital of Egypt. It was here in Alexandria where the Septuagint was translated. Do you remember that? We learned about that last week. The translation of the Hebrew Old Testament into Greek by the 70 scholars, the Septuagint was translated here. It was an intellectual hub. And Apollos was from Alexandria. He likely had received great training and great education didn't make him a great teacher, though, because he had that great education. Education is helpful, but it alone doesn't make one qualified. Paul was highly educated. Well, he was still known as Saul, and that didn't make him a great teacher. In Acts chapter 22, verse 3, I indeed am a Jew, Paul said, born in Tarsus of Cecilia, uh, or Cilicia, and brought up in this city at the feet of Gamaliel, taught according to the strictness of our father's law, and was zealous toward God as you all are today. Paul's education no doubt was helpful to him, but that alone didn't make him a great teacher. It was helpful to him. You remember, he drew on this education. He drew on this knowledge of the law as he taught, but that didn't make him a great teacher in and of itself. It doesn't necessarily make you a great teacher just because you have a great education. I'll tell you something else that doesn't necessarily make you a great teacher, and that would be your speaking ability. You know, people like to listen to someone who has great speaking ability, someone who has a good command of the English language, one that's easy to listen to. We like that, don't we? I work with a lot of people who are not native-born English speakers, and they have a pretty good command of the English language, better than I have of theirs or would ever have of theirs probably. Well, I'll tell you, they're not easy to listen to. You have to work. 
You have to work to listen to understand what they're saying. It's, it's sort of fatiguing. But there are some native-born English speakers that are like that. And it's hard to listen to some folks because it, you don't really, it's hard to pick them up and understand what they're saying. You know, there are a lot of people who put a premium on one's speaking ability. They judge, apparently, a teacher by how, how good he or she is, by how easy they are to listen to. And if a teacher is easy to listen to, we really like that. If they keep our attention, if we can stay focused, if they sort of keep us on the edge of our seat, then we deem that person as a good teacher, I'm afraid. And when you talk about that to people, you know, they verbalize that. When you're talking about maybe a preacher, and want to know about that preacher, well, oh, he's a great speaker. As if that makes you a great teacher if you just have good speaking ability. Apollos, in verse 24, it says, he was an eloquent man. He was a great speaker. And in many people's books, that would make him a great teacher. He was easy to listen to. His oratory skills were notable. That's what's noted about him. He was an eloquent man. I'll tell you, that alone didn't make him a great speaker. Just being eloquent, just because they have a good command of the language, just being able to tell a good story to keep people's attention, that does not make you a great teacher. In fact, Paul warned against people who would have great speaking ability. In Romans chapter 16, in Romans chapter 16, look at verse 17. Now I urge you, brethren, note those who cause division and offenses contrary to the doctrine which you learned and avoid them. For those who are such do not serve our Lord Jesus Christ, but their own belly, and by smooth words and flattering speech deceive the hearts of the simple. Paul says there are going to be some false teachers, some really bad teachers who will be real smooth with their speech. They'll have a great command of the language. They'll be easy to listen to. They'll be entertaining, maybe. I'll tell you, speaking ability alone does not make one a great teacher. And the next one I want to tell you is probably going to catch you off guard, but I want to tell you that knowledge of the Scriptures doesn't necessarily make you a great teacher. You know, knowledge of the Scriptures is very important. The Scriptures are, after all, what God is using to teach us and save us. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17, all Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped to every good work. The scriptures are very important. The Scriptures are very important. Uh, uh, we need uh, the Scriptures in order to be saved. But I'm going to tell you, knowledge of the Scriptures alone doesn't guarantee that someone is a great teacher. Apollos, in verse 24 of our text in Acts chapter 18, says he was uh, uh, very mighty in the Scriptures. He knew the Scriptures well. Who knew the Scriptures better than the scribes? You remember last week we learned about what the scribes did, didn't we? They spent their days just copying the Scriptures. And I know some of you have the habit of writing scriptures out rather than just reading them, writing them out because that'll help it stick in your mind. The scribes knew the scriptures perhaps better than anyone else, but that didn't make them a great teacher. In, Acts, in Matthew chapter 23, Matthew chapter 23, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! 
For you travel land and sea to win one proselyte, and when he is one, you make him twice as much the son, a son of hell as yourselves. Woe to you, blind guides, who say, Whoever swears by the temple, it is nothing, but whoever swears by the gold of the temple, he is obliged to perform it. And he goes on to talk about their false teaching. The scribes knew the scriptures, but that alone did not make them a great teacher. It takes more than that. You know, there are going to be false teachers that we come in contact with today who have an extensive knowledge of the scriptures. We're going to come in across false teachers who will be able to quote the scriptures who will be able to cite obscure references in the scriptures, who know the scriptures front ways and back ways. But just because someone knows the scriptures, that doesn't make them a good teacher. We need to be aware of that. Apollos was mighty in the scriptures, but that didn't make him a great teacher necessarily. It took more than that. I'll tell you something else that doesn't necessarily make a great teacher, and that is one's zeal. A teacher needs to have zeal. In fact, without zeal, I want to tell you, a teacher isn't going to be very effective. None of us are going to be very effective if we don't have zeal. If we're not excited about this, if we're not excited about the message that we're going to share, it's not going to make us a good teacher. And Apollos was fervent in spirit, verse 25 of Acts 18 says. He was fervent in the spirit. And it also says in verse 25 that he spake and taught diligently. Apollos had a lot of zeal. And that's great. I'll tell you, that alone didn't guarantee that he'd be a good teacher. Paul was zealous when he was in error. When he was still Saul, he was very zealous. In Galatians chapter 1, verse 14, And I advanced in Judaism beyond many of my contemporaries in my own nation, being more exceedingly zealous for the traditions of my fathers. I don't know that you could anybody else that was more zealous than Saul was. Didn't make him a great teacher, though, did it? And Paul wasn't alone. Many of Paul's contemporaries were very zealous. In Romans chapter 10, verse 1, Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they may be saved. For I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. Zeal's important. I want to tell you, though, zeal is not all it takes to be a good teacher. I'm afraid a lot of people gauge someone as being a good teacher and what they're saying is correct by their zeal. And maybe this false teacher has traveled the globe spreading his false doctrine. And people look at that, well, he was a missionary in Africa. Or he has dedicated his life to teaching what he's teaching. He must be right. He's very zealous. No, that doesn't make one necessarily a good teacher. Zeal is not all it takes to be a good teacher tell you that one's demeanor doesn't mean, doesn't, isn't all that it takes to be a good teacher. The way a teacher conducts him or herself can have an effect on his or her effectiveness, no doubt. Paul warned Timothy about this in Titus chapter 2, verse 15. Paul told Titus, speak these things, exhort and rebuke with all authority, let no one despise you. Titus was to conduct himself in such a way that people wouldn't be able to look down at him on how he conducted himself and discredit his message. Zeal is important. We've all known teachers that you could despise. Teachers who weren't living what they were teaching. They weren't acting the way that they should. Those teachers can be despised. 
We've got to have a good demeanor as we're trying to teach. And Apollos' demeanor was exceptional. Look at verse 26. It says that Apollos spoke boldly. Apollos' demeanor was admirable. But again, one's demeanor doesn't guarantee that they're a good teacher. Simon, the sorcerer, had a good demeanor. In Acts chapter 8, verse 9, But there was a certain man called Simon who previously practiced sorcery in the city and astonished the people of Samaria, claiming that he was someone great, to whom they all gave heed from the least to the greatest, saying, This man is the great power of God. Simon conducted himself in such a way he was convincing. He had a good demeanor. But demeanor is not all it takes to be a great teacher. As we look at Apollos' life, we see that he was a teacher, but he wasn't a great teacher, was he? He wasn't teaching all of the gospel. He had a good education, likely. He had a great speaking ability. He had a great knowledge of the Scripture. He had zeal. He had a good demeanor, but there was still something lacking. I want to tell you what it takes to be a good teacher are the next two traits that Apollos had. And Apollos had humility. Apollos was willing to be approached when someone thought he was not preaching correctly. You know, many times teachers are tempted to think that they have to have it all figured out. That teachers have to be the one who can't be told anything. That I'm the teacher and you're the student. That I've studied this from every angle. I've taught it this way for many years. I know all there is to know. You just listen to me. I've got it right. That's the attitude many teachers have. Apollos wasn't like that. Many times, I'm afraid, teachers think that they have to be the authority on all subjects. That they can't allow for the fact that they might be wrong. They might be in error. That if they're the teacher, they've got to be right. You can't allow for the fact that you might be wrong. Apollos didn't have that attitude, did he? Apollos was humble. Apollos was willing to be corrected. I'll tell you, it takes humility to admit that you're wrong or to consider the fact that you might be wrong. That takes humility. That's the kind of humility that Apollos had. And notice who corrected him. Aquila and Priscilla in verse 26. What were Aquila and Priscilla's credentials? We don't know. We know that they were tent makers. How much education do you need to be a tent maker? We don't know. Now, Paul was a tent maker. We know he had education, so you didn't necessarily become disqualified because you had an education, but did you have to have a lot of credentials to be a tent maker? We don't know. It doesn't seem like you would. We don't know how they were viewed in society, but here's Apollos from Alexandria, a very cultured place with great education, and he's being addressed by Aquila and Priscilla. He was humble enough, though, wasn't he, to be approached by them. Good teachers are humble. I'll tell you, Apollos was a good teacher because he was humble. I'll tell you what else made Apollos a good teacher. Apollos was a good teacher because he had a desire to know the Scriptures accurately. Aquila and Priscilla took him aside in verse 26 when they confronted him. And they expounded unto him the way of God more perfectly. That's what it takes to be a good teacher. 
the desire to preach this and only this. To understand this as perfectly as you can. Not being content with what you know currently. Not feeling that you're above correction, but being humble and having a desire to know this as accurately as you can. I want you to know those two traits made Apollos a great teacher. And the other traits that we looked at are a help, aren't they? Having a good education can help. Having good speaking ability, being able to communicate well is good. Knowing the scriptures well, having zeal and demeanor are good, but you've got to couple that with humility and the desire to understand the scriptures accurately. I tell you, Apollos was a great teacher, but you have to have those last two traits to be that great teacher, don't you? Before we conclude our message this morning, though, we ought to take a few minutes to talk about what makes a great student. Because we have an example of great students in Aquila and Priscilla, don't we, as well? Apollos was a great teacher because he had those traits, but Aquila and Priscilla were great students. And great teachers can't be effective without great students. I'll tell you, on the flip side of that, bad teachers can be very effective when they have bad students. There are a lot of bad teachers that are very effective at spreading their false gospel and their false doctrine because they have bad students who listen to them. Aquila and Priscilla were good students. Why? They were good students because they weren't swayed by Apollos' resume. They didn't give Apollos a pass at not teaching the way of God accurately because, well, he's, he went to some schools in Alexandria. He probably knows better than me. It must be right what he's saying because of his education. They didn't give him a pass for that. They didn't overlook that. When they saw what he was saying and it didn't line up with what the Scriptures were teaching, it didn't matter his education. They weren't going to be put off by that. I want to tell you something else. They weren't awed by his oratorical skills. They didn't say, wow, he tells a great story. And they didn't just get so caught up in well, how easy it was to listen to him that they just ignored what he was saying. No, they weren't overcome by that. They weren't awed by that. They focused on the message, not just the way that he was presenting it. I want to tell you, they weren't also knocked over and intimidated by his knowledge of the Scriptures. He was mighty in the Scriptures. That didn't intimidate them. They didn't say, well, he must know the Scriptures better than me. This doesn't line up with what we've been taught, but he must know better than me, and so I'll just ignore that. No, that didn't put them off. I tell you, they were good students because they also didn't allow his zeal to sidetrack them. They didn't look at him and say, well, he's traveling around. He's really zealous. He must be right. That didn't get in the way of them seeing the error. And also, they weren't distracted by his demeanor. They didn't say, well, he's a good man. We'll just overlook this. No, what they saw didn't line up with what the Scripture said. And they wanted to make sure that they helped him to understand the way of God more accurately. I'll tell you, if we're going to be good students, we need to have that same approach. You know, I think it's the approach that Paul encouraged in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 4, Paul said, Don't get all wound up in who's teaching you the gospel, because it doesn't matter. What matters is what's being said. 
1 Corinthians chapter 3, beginning at verse 4. For when one says, I am of Paul, and another, I am of Apollos, are you not carnal? Who then is Paul, and who is Apollos, but ministers through whom you believed? As the Lord gave to each one, I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. So then neither he who plants is anything, nor he who waters, but God who gives the increase. Aquila and Priscilla knew that Paul, a Paul and Apollos were just messengers presenting God's message to them. They weren't impressed by the human credentials. They were concerned about the truth that was being presented. They were good students because they compared what was taught with the scriptures. For Aquila and Priscilla, truth was truth because it lined up with what God had said. Truth was not truth because of someone who presented it to them. They went to the scriptures. They went to what God had said, and that for them was truth. We need good teachers. We all need to be good teachers, and we all need to be good students. Are you a good student this morning? Good students apply what they've been taught when it lines up with what God's Word says. The question for us this morning is, are we good students? Have we aligned with what God has told us He wants from us in our lives? Are we doing it in every aspect of our lives? If you're not a Christian this morning, there's no better, better way to become one than by submitting to God's will, putting on Christ, dying and being buried with Him in baptism, and rising to walk in newness of life. And good students continue to walk on that path. And if you've strayed from that path, would you make it right? If we can help, will you let us know while we stand and sing?